0: Welcome to the Atlanta Legacy Makers podcast. I'm Floyd Hall. Randy Gyu is the curator of political, cultural, and social movements collections for Emory University's Rose Library. In this conversation, I chat with Randy about his connections to Atlanta history, what it's like to curate an archive, and how the digital era might affect how we collect artifacts in the future. So, Randy, just starting it off, what is your Atlanta story? <laughs> how how long do you have?
1: Um, my, you know, um, I work as a curator, but my training, uh, by training, I'm an urban historian, um, and that's all because of Atlanta. I grew up here in Atlanta, and uh, when I was a kid, there was a great. Tradition among Atlantans that you didn't know anything about the city's history. Nobody ever talked about it to me, right? I knew Sherman visited in 1864 and I knew about dr. King, but other than that I knew absolutely nothing about the city's history Um, which is looking back on it is uh, really amazing Um, but I remember seeing old parts of the city when I was young and but I didn't have a framework or a setting to put them in, so when I was in graduate school, um I had to take a class about segregated cinema in Atlanta, and it was in that class where the light bulb went off for me where I found my calling um, i you know I knew that you could study cities. But I thought it had to be places like New York, London, Paris, Rome, Athens, Tokyo. It never dawned on me, and it sounds kind of ridiculous now, that I could study my hometown, that my hometown, Atlanta, was worthy of an object of study. So from that class, um, I became an urban historian, and actually my specialty is the history of Atlanta. And I'm convinced that's because no one talked to me about the history of the city when I was a kid. And I remember seeing things. I remember things happening, but I never had um, a framework or
0: an explanation to
1: set those in.
0: Is it interesting that you say that no one ever taught you Atlanta history because, you know, I'm an Atlanta native also. I can say that growing up in school, I remember having Georgia history classes. Yep but never anything that was Atlanta history and I'm not quite sure why there was one and not the other but to your point it feels like Atlanta history is the thing that gets passed down from a community standpoint you know wherever you grew up you get to learn the history of 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 that place or I guess you learn the history of Atlanta through the the filter of of that community I would say um so I think there are lots of people, both natives and transplants, who may come to Atlanta or or maybe even come of age in Atlanta, but never really know that history. Um, and, and I, I do want to jump into some of your other history uh, um, a little bit. Uh, I know that you also have a history in Atlanta's punk rock scene.
1: Yeah, actually, you know, I grew up in the hardcore punk rock scene here in Atlanta. And um you know i was I was born to my family, but I was raised by my punk rock friends. Um, that's between that that and discovering that I could study of Atlanta. those are the two guiding stars that kind of set the motion for my life, and in a way, they're related because um in the early 1980s, if you wanted to go to a punk show, you had to come into downtown Atlanta to do it. And so I saw all different parts of the city that many of my friends and my contemporaries did not see. I saw the older parts because that's where the punk rock clubs were. So in a way, looking back at it now, it's all related. I got to see parts of the city I never would have seen otherwise. And then I got this kind of do-it-yourself ethos um, that came from the punk rock community. Because when I got involved with Hardcore, I met 16, 17, and 18 year olds who had their own bands, wrote their own songs, put out their own records, booked their own shows, booked their own tours. It was all these things that you weren't supposed to be able to do at the time. And so that was uh, truly
0: an eye opening experience. Well, Randy, let's dive lo- a little bit into your process. You are the curator of political, cultural, and social movements at. Emory's Rose Library. Um, what does that really entail? You know, I know people hear those words and, and they kind of jump to maybe some some general conclusions, but what does that entail for you?
1: Yeah, so the Rose Library, as I mentioned, is Emory University special collections repository. Um, our mission is to acquire, preserve, arrange describe and most importantly provide public access to materials of lasting historical value Um, we're free and open to the public so my job is to get collections in so that we can preserve them we can arrange and describe them and then we can provide public access to these materials so um, acquisition collection development is the easiest way to describe what i do so um people have materials, they have collections, I meet with them, I see what kinds of stuff they have, and then I try and convince them that Emory University is the right home for their materials.
0: I would love for you to say more about that process of connecting with individuals who may who may have something of value, of of, of cultural value. Because I, I guess sometimes there are lots of people out there who who maybe have access to or uh have ties to very important cultural artifacts or, or things that are of, I guess, cultural significance, if you will. But they may not even know that there's a place, you know, for those materials or, or you know, those things that are taking up space in their garage or their attic. <laughs> I guess, how do you get the word out to people? How do you, how do you reach out to them to let them know that that there is is space for for those important artifacts at a place like emory
1: well do you want to know the great secret about this sure the the secret is it's a word of mouth business right other people say you know folks will tell someone else is like hey i've got this or i've got the records of this organization and you know the other person will say hey you need to talk to the rose library at emory I mean, most of the materials we get is by word of mouth like that. Um, it's from people who've already donated their materials to us, who are connected to organizations whose records we hold, who've come to see an exhibit of the materials, who've come to see a program, a conversation. Um, the great secret about collection development is it's, it's a word of mouth business. It's shocking how much of it is a word of mouth business. Um, And then also we just get cold calls um the amazing atlanta photographer billy howard i was sitting at my desk one afternoon my phone rang i picked up the phone and he said i'm billy howard Uh, i'm an atlanta photographer and i might have a collection you would be interested in and you know what he was right he did he had an unbelievable collection one of the most amazing collections i'd ever seen so um that's what I love about this. my job is every day I have no idea what's gonna happen during the course of
0: the day. Um and that's that's really interesting and it's really fun. Being that it's often a, a word of mouth business as you say, um I guess yeah. I think about estate sales or or moving sales or you know, whenever someone is leaving, you know, a house usually um, and sometimes they kind of just put this stuff out for other people to acquire. And, you know, while I do see that being very practical, right. Um, I'm also wondering, though. You know, how much of your job or at least is your your vision is is advocating for people to see the value in some of those everyday things?
1: Oh, that's that's a whole that is a lot of my job, Do you know um the answer everyone gives when i tell them the rose library is interested in their material this is an answer that 99 percent of the people give they say oh i don't have anything you'd be interested in and you know what they're all wrong (laughs) they do have things that we would be interested in They have materials of historical value, whether it's tied to them personally, their stories, whether it's tied to their families and their stories, whether it's tied to their communities and their stories. Um, There's people who aren't, I mean, folks aren't used to thinking of um, their collections, their papers, their family's papers as having historical value, right? Most people look at materials and think only of financial value. They don't think of historical value. So that is a serious part of my job because literally almost everyone I speak to, their first reaction is, I don't have anything you'd be interested in. And they're always wrong about that. They do have stuff that we would be interested in. When I say we, I mean archive. I mean Emory, but I also mean archives in general.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, how do you all work with other Atlanta institutions? Because while Emory is, you know, and you are are actively seeking out um, these artifacts, but perhaps not everything is is. I guess, um, meant for every institution. So maybe there are some other folks at other places who may have a different focus on what they're trying to collect and, and preserve. So I guess, how do you know what's for you, um, at Emory, but then again, how do you also know what might be right for another institution?
1: Yeah. So I tell every donor as we call them, that I come into contact with that. The most important thing is that the materials go somewhere right that doesn't necessarily have to go to Emory and if it doesn't go to Emory I will help them find a home for it Um, the most important thing is for the materials to be preserved Um, but they're and I also tell them that you're really really lucky Atlanta has an unbelievable collection of archives of special collections repositories for you to pick a home from you have everything from the Woodruff library at the Atlanta University Center, the Auburn Avenue Research Library, um, the Atlanta History Center. You have special collections at Georgia State, 60 miles away. You have the University of Georgia, and there's Emory. Most major metropolitan areas don't have that many top-notch archives um, in in within such easy reach. So, but we all kind of have our our specialties. We have our Aries, you know uh, georgia state has the labor archive um atlanta university center morehouse has dr king's papers the atlanta history center does a great job collecting objects to use in the museum as well as early history of the city so it's just a part uh just a point of knowing your colleagues of knowing what their collection interests are and trying to find the right home for the donor we don't always have to have everything it's more important that it's in their the the donors materials are in dialogue with other materials that are similar than it has to be at one institution one particular institution or the other Um, does that make sense i don't know if i said that clearly Um,
0: no, I get it. I get it. Yeah. I mean, I I think that every institution has its own, uh, you know, mission and vision statement around what they're trying to collect. And I think that I think there's a, a, a great uh, deal of collaboration between or among yeah. the institutions to make sure that, you know, the important artifacts, you know, to your point, go 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 somewhere, you know. And I guess in sort of tying this to the Atlanta legacy makers, I know that. The Gary M. Pomerantz book where pastry meets Sweet Auburn has been um, an important centerpiece of uh, of this project up until this point. And, you know, there's a, a very special tie in between uh, Gary's papers and uh, Emory. So I would love for maybe, you know, you to share some perspective on how Gary's papers ended up at Emory and what that process was like to collect and catalog that material.
1: Yeah, so Gary was as he was finishing up or as he finished up I guess where Peachtree meets Sweet Auburn he was actually teaching at the uh, journalism program at Emory University and uh, I have to be honest that uh, I was I was his teaching assistant for his uh, journalism classes so I knew Gary and this is while I was working in the Rose Library and going to graduate school but. So I've known Gary for a while, but um, kind of the important thing about Gary and his papers is that Gary's training is as a journalist, but he has the heart of a historian. Um, He was a history major at Cal Berkeley. Um, He absolutely loves research. um, and he has an interest in um, exploring the long-term story, the way that historians do um but as a journalist he also has fantastic interview skills um and a love of storytelling and where peachtree meets sweet auburn kind of ties all those things together in a really unique way so um and another and another kind of interesting aspect is you know i said mentioned earlier that um most people when I ask them about their materials, they say, I don't have anything interesting. Gary, with his background as an historian, knew that these materials were significant in telling the story of the history of Atlanta and would be of great use to other people. That's kind of a unique understanding. And so he was looking for an archive to place these materials in and I, of course, advocated for the Rose Library. Um, the, we the, At the Rose Library, we have three main collecting areas, uh, political, cultural, and social movements collections, African American history and culture, and English language poetry and literature. Now, these collections are national and international, but the heart of the collection, the foundation, if you will, is materials that document the story of Atlanta. And Gary, being the great researcher he is, used Rose Library Collections when he was doing research for uh, where Peachtree meets Sweet Auburn. So it was a very easy transition um, to convince him to get to place the papers with our other Collections with, like Mayor Hartsfield's papers, uh, with the Newsweek Atlanta Newsweek Bureau records, and Ralph McGill's papers. So he he saw that it, there was a really nice connection and of of collections that his materials would be in dialogue with at the Rose Library.
0: And for everyone listening, just to give uh, a bit of a snapshot of what Gary's papers include um i mean there's audio and transcripts from his interviews with uh maynard jackson and alvin allen jr uh family members um i mean just an amazing uh treasure trove of uh you know culture and, and and history as told through uh these two families um these two mayors and their uh extended families if you will so you know, you, you. I think you can you can connect with the library and actually hear some of this audio. I know I was able to to, to do that as I was doing research for the podcast. Um, the Emory staff was very gracious in allowing me to have access to the digital files to listen to, um, actually, you know, listen to uh, what these what these folks sounded like. And I think that was even just an amazing addition to my my thinking. Um, as I began to to read where Peachtree meets Sweet Auburn, you know, to be able to actually hear, uh, you know, the voices of of the past um, as I'm reading this book, just really helped to frame and reframe things um, in a very valuable way for me.
1: Well, and isn't that a great experience to be able to? Um, that's what's so valuable about this collection is that you have the raw material, the recipe, if you will, that went into the book. But then you also have these voices, you have his notes, you have his drafts. You can actually, you can see how all of this was wound together. Um, so it's it's a unique opportunity. Um, and there's nothing more amazing than hearing their words from people describing who were involved in the time, describing the times, right? That's a,
0: That's a unique experience. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, and I guess, you know, Randy, given that you are focused on, on, I guess, these current times, you know, you're, you're a, a a curator who is thinking about political and cultural and social movements, you know, how do you interpret the present, if you will, you know, as, as we live through times, um, and we're processing the present, how does that strike you as, as a, a, a curator, you know, in terms of just um, imagining what's going to be valuable five years from now, 10 years from now, 30 years from now, how do you, how do you um, think through the cultural impact of, of what's happening in, in these current times, but I guess really any current times.
1: Yeah, that's kind of, you know, it's, that's, kind of the crux of my job I need to collect materials that um, document the past but then I also have to be thinking about now and um, thinking about what areas people will be interested in in the future Um, when it comes to particularly social movements and the moment we're in now um, I just with what was going on with rayshard brooks and george floyd and all that i had to actually turn to the past um i had to go to charles payne's book which is called i've got the light of freedom which is about uh community organizing in mississippi during the civil rights movement um, i personally just really needed to know like what mrs fannie lou hamer bob moses Amzie moore and all that did in kind of dark moments of social change and what they did with community organizing. And so that kind of um, focuses my attention on how to think about it. And one of the first things I did was contact the Atlanta photographer, Alleroy Sobel. Um, they've been out photographing uh, the George Floyd Black Lives Matter, um protests uh they were out at the richard brooks um impromptu memorial over there on university and the protests there and so i actually acquired a bunch of their photograph their digital photographs last month because one of the things i'm trying to do uh with the collection is shorten the amount of time that it takes to get historically significant materials into the collection. mean I have this great story. Every time I teach at the Rose Library, I ask the students, the first question I ask is, what do we have here? And there's always dead silence. And then eventually somebody raises their hand and they say some version of old stuff. And I say, you're right, we do have old stuff here. But unfortunately, the implications of old stuff is that it doesn't have any impact or any influence on their lives and on their times. So, by getting things like Ali's photographs of the Rayshard Brooks um, memorial and protest, I'm trying to shorten the timeline and get those materials in, so that the students, so that community members can see themselves reflected in our collections and see their times reflected in our
0: collections thinking about where we are with technology and how that might make your your job as a curator more difficult or maybe even you know easier <laughs> i'm wondering what conversations are you having with your colleagues and i guess with others around Accessing what I would say are born digital items. So, if we're thinking about photography, for example, at this moment, it's not uncommon for people to have two or three or four old phones with, you know, images in those phones. Maybe they don't update them, maybe they do, but with so much of our content being captured through mobile devices that may or not be amassed and passed along from device to device in the cloud, if you, you know, if, if you will, Um, how, how is the, the job for you to, I guess, communicate the importance of, of preserving um, these digital uh, documents, if you will, of culture um, for preservation, because I think because of how we, we capture items or, you know, moments Maybe as individuals, we don't think that there's value there either, because it's sort of a you know of the moment kind of activity. But I'm wondering, you know, 30 years from now, where we all may have 10 old cell phones. Um, how 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 are you thinking about technology and accessing all of the content through these fragmented, I guess, means with all these devices? Does that does that make sense to you? It does. You
1: just hit kind of the nerve of a conversation that's going on in the archival community these days. Um, archivists are convinced that we're living in what's the what's going to be the digital dark ages. Um, there are no stand, uniform standards for saving digital materials now. So um basically most of that stuff if not almost all is going to be lost to the historical record i'll just give you an example i ask um students like do you text your grandparents and they say yes of course and i say who's saving that and they're not saving it um most you know the texts are proprietary data they are they happen you know under at&t or verizon Or something like that. And then some people will say, well, what about Facebook and Instagram? Again, those are private companies that have that material in there. Um, So you really struck kind of the serious issue. We think as a profession, eventually there will be uniform standards for how material, how data gets saved for the long term. But right now, from say, I don't know, 2000 to 2040 or something, there's, it's going to be haphazard, catch as catch can, and most of the stuff that is ubiquitous, or most of the data and information around us that is ubiquitous is going to vanish. It's going to vanish with the actual tools, with the technology, the phones, like you said. But then it's also gonna vanish when the corporations that we think are gonna be around forever when they vanish. Um, right? Like MySpace. All that information that people put up on MySpace, gone. Um, so it's it's a real, real issue that we're facing right now. And we have a forensic digital lab to gather stuff, but as far as a profession in a much larger way. Um, There are no standards for how people, corporations, organizations, and all that should be saving their data for long-term storage and
0: access. Well, Randy, as we wrap up, um, I do want to maybe take this back to the notion of an Atlanta history education, if you will, And I'm wondering from where you sit now as an Atlanta native, but also as someone who is deeply vested in Atlanta's history, how do you or how would you advocate for anyone who who hears this conversation, whether they are an adult or a young person, how would you advocate for people to connect with archives? Because I guess, you know, taking it back to school, you know, the idea of spending more time in a library than necessary isn't always the most thrilling, uh, you know, uh, idea of a, of a, of a, of a good time. Um, but I think, you know, knowing where you come from or knowing about the place where you, where you grow up is terribly important. Um, and so I, I guess what's, what's been your, your best, most effective pitch for, advocating for Atlanta history or helping folks connect with Atlanta history through archives, whether it be at Emory or Georgia state or Auburn Avenue, like what's, what's the best way to communicate the importance of that, especially for, for young folks learning about the world, learning about Atlanta as well.
1: Uh, The best pitch I have is come in and see some cool stuff. Um, we have unbelievable objects that are interesting and have interesting stories. And it's not, not necessarily like school, right? You can, as, your, as your experience of listening to the voices of Maynard Jackson and Ivan Allen, that's not necessarily something you can duplicate somewhere else. It's an experience unto itself. We're free and open to the public. Anybody can come in and hear Maynard Jackson's voice, hear Ivan Allen's voice. Hear Gary interviewing Ivan Allen or Maynard Jackson or uh, any, you know, any number of people that Gary interviewed. Or you can come in and look at um, you know, Victoria Spivey, the blues singer. We have some of her flyers from New York where Bob Dylan opened up for her. So don't, don't think of what archives is, as a narrow definition of archives. As you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, we have stuff about the punk rock scene here in Atlanta. That's not what people necessarily think of when they think of a research library. We had a drag show in the Rose Library in January. That's not something that, library, that people usually associate with libraries. So come in to the Rose Library or to any other archive. And let us change your mind about what you think about the city and what you also think about libraries.
0: Randy Yu, curator of political, cultural and social movements collections at the Rose Library. Randy, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Floyd, it is truly my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Atlanta Legacy Makers is an initiative led by Central Atlanta Progress and the City of Atlanta. Special thanks to our amazing partners, Atlanta Downtown Improvement District, Atlanta Public Schools, Constellations, Gene Kansas Commercial Real Estate, the Ivan Allen College of Liberal Arts at Georgia Tech, One Atlanta, and Supporter Report. Atlanta Legacy Makers is hosted and produced by Floyd Hall. That's me. Music by Smith and Cash. Last but not least, thank you, Atlanta.